Please do sit down. Please do sit down. It'd be great if you kept that passage open in 1 Thessalonians, page 10, uh, 1186. Page 1186. I'm going to pray and then let's have a look at it. Father, help us now as we come to your word. Please teach us. Please move our hearts as well as our minds to respond to what you say to us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about you, I know not all of you live on the North Shore, but I really enjoy living on the North Shore. I, I, it's a great place to live. Well, will it be? Is anyway. I, I, it gets a bit dodgy once you cross boundary, I always feel. Um, moving into a different area. But I, I, I mean, it's, it's just a great area, isn't it? For Sydney, the transport links are really good. The coffee's getting better. Uh, great schools and great opportunities for children, for those of you who've got families. Uh, the hospitals are good. Um, the people are nice. I found one of you people to be, uh, excuse me, <coughs> to be nice. And, and friendly and uh, it's a great place to live. I, I, it's true that it comes with a cost, living in Willoughby. I, I mean, obviously, lots and lots and lots of money to live in Willoughby. And, and, and so there's a financial cost, and, and, but there's also a cost in terms of time, because if you're going to live well in Willoughby, it will take your time. Money, time, the people devote to living well on the North Shore. But if you can do it, if you're fortunate enough to have the income and you devote the time and the effort to it, you can live really, really well in Willoughby. As I said, there's a cost, money, time. No time often for volunteering. No time sometimes even for the relationships we say are the most important because to live well in Willoughby and in the North Shore in general, will take up an awful, awful lot of your energy. But what's not to like? You can live really, really well on the North Shore if you devote time to it. We wouldn't want to leave, would we? Who in their right mind would want to leave the North Shore? Don't answer that. Well, with that in mind, I want to go back to a question that I've asked a number of times before, which is, what difference does it make if somebody becomes a Christian? And I want to put it like this. If you take your average North Shore person who today is not a follower of Jesus, but tomorrow becomes a follower of Jesus, how will that impact their life? What difference will it make? And with that question in mind, I want you to turn, please, to Thessalonians. Paul here is writing to these people who've become followers of Jesus, and he's reminding them of what happened and the incredibly powerful effect of God on their lives. When he and his team brought the gospel, he says of that occasion, our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. It turned the, these people's lives around. They were radically transformed. And Paul is just delighted as he remembers 
that occasion and ask them to remember the impact of the gospel. It was life-changing for them. And people noticed. The people around noticed. In fact, people distant from Thessalonica noticed what had happened. And in verses 9 and 10, Paul says about the reports that he's been hearing. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he rescued, he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Notice three things there. These people looking at the Thessalonians talk about a turning. They have turned from idols. There's a new purpose to their life. They are serving the true and living God, and they are waiting, leaving, turning to serve, and waiting. And Paul's adding his yes to all that. It's not just that he's saying those things because he's heard what those people have said. He's saying, yes, that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It involves a leaving. It involves a serving. And it involves a waiting. A leaving, turning from idols. A new purpose to serve the living and true God. And a new hope which inspires them. And so they are waiting. Those are three characteristics of genuine Christianity. Leaving, serving, and waiting. And we're going to have a look at those briefly this morning. Now, the, one of the problems we have when we come to the Bible is that we have these amazingly effective filters. They are so incredibly effective. So, for example, when we read about turning from idols, the filters kick in. Idols. Some of us remember our classical education, and we remember about Zeus and Aphrodite and all those wretched gods of the pagan world. And we think, poor benighted creatures back then, they were so deluded, weren't they? Worshipping idols. Who would have thought? We don't do things like that. Because we're sophisticated 21st century people and we don't have a problem with idolatry. So that was then. And you see how that filter works. Immediately, it puts a distance between us and them. They turn from idols, but we don't worship idols, so there's no need for us to do anything. The other thing that we do is this. Idolatry we think of as religion. And of course, there's the rest of life. So it's really, really important that when we read what Paul is writing here about idolatry, that we understand what he's talking about. And we understand, too, that it's actually relevant to us. And it doesn't matter if you don't have an idol of Mr. Turnbull in your house that you worship and acknowledge when you go in. Like they might have done with the emperor in the first century or some other local civic god or whatever it was. 
What we need to understand about idolatry is that idolatry was the essential component of life. Really, in the first century, they didn't have those two categories of religious life and the rest of life. Idolatry, acknowledging the idols, was how you did life, all of it. You know, in the United States, they have this showing respect to the flag. You salute the flag. And woe betide you if you don't. Because you are, by disrespecting the flag, you are disrespecting the great United States of America. It is anti-American not to honor the flag. Now, I'm not suggesting that the Americans worship the flag or that they even worship America. Well, some of them might do. Um, my point is this. If you didn't acknowledge the idols, the idol of the city in which you were in, that was seen as being an act against the city. You were disrespecting the city. If you were involved in a trade, then the trade would have its gods. And when you went to local meetings, you know, like accountants got together, they probably didn't have them in quite the same way, but if a group of accountants got together, then the first thing that you would probably do was acknowledge the gods of accountancy. I've no idea what they might have been, but, but that's what you did. And you were saying by doing that, you recognized... Yes, you recognized there was something beyond this life and there were gods and so on. But, but actually, you were saying, yes, I respect the way we do our work. And I stand with everybody else on this. Idolatry was the way that you did life. And it didn't really matter what your private religious beliefs were. It didn't even up to a point matter what kind of life you lived. You just needed to show respect to the gods because by doing that, you were showing respect to country, to city, to the family that you were visiting for the meal as you acknowledged the household gods. So you imagine what happens if you turn from idols. What it means is this, you are turning your back on first century life as it's lived to put it in 21st century times, if you walked away from idolatry, if you no longer acknowledged the civic gods or the guild gods or the gods of the home you were visiting or any of the other gods that other people respected and by acknowledging their gods you were actually acknowledging them, not disrespecting them, if you walked away from that, you stood a really good chance of getting into trouble. You'd be in trouble in your community, in the city. You could be in trouble because you'd lose your job. You might lose family. You might lose friends. There were economic consequences because the temples of the gods and the whole idolatrous system, a system of idolatry, had huge economic implications. So if you weren't participating, you were undermining the economy of the area, as well as threatening your own job. Do, do, do you get the point? To walk away from idolatry, to leave idols, meant to turn your back 
on that way of doing life. The way everybody else did it. The way that you had to do life if you were going to thrive. So Paul here, where he's saying that they turned from idols, is saying that they turned their back on that way of life. And then they turned to serve the living and true God. So turn from idols. We need to understand what that means. And then to serve the living and true God. And once again, the filters kick in. Serving God, what does that mean? There are at least a couple of things we do when we read phrases like that. Number one is we trivialize it by turning it into religion. Religion is the trivialization of Christianity. Can I say that again? Religion is the trivialization of Christianity. Because it pushes it all to externals. Some of them very good. Going to church, reading the Bible, getting baptized, taking communion. But Christianity is about so much more than religion. It's about a change of heart and a change of life. We trivialize it by turning it into religion, and then we domesticate it by making it manageable. And so we turn Christianity into living a good life. Being nice to your neighbors, paying your taxes, being a good North Shore person. We trivialize and we domesticate, and then, of course, what we do is we internalize everything. So it, being a Christian is about you know, feeling good because my sins have been forgiven. And I'm going to heaven when I die, so I have hope for that. Well, those are all good things. But Christianity is about a radical change of life. A complete change. A change of direction that sets a person on a course that is completely different from the course that they were on before. That's what it means to turn from idols and to serve the living and the true God. Because if you're serving the living and the true God, you now have a new purpose for your life, and that purpose centers around the new family that God has made you part of, which is the church. Now, we looked at this in Ephesians, so I'm not going to go over that, but if you've forgotten what I said, then the fourth sermon on Ephesians, which was on Ephesians chapter 4, when you become a follower of Jesus, you are made part of a new family, and that new family, the church, is to be the center of what you're about. We are called not just to go to heaven when we die, not just to have our sins forgiven, but we're called to fulfill God's purpose here, which is to play our part in building up the community of Jesus Christ, to building the church. That is the center. It's the center of our families. If we have families, if you're a Christian husband and a Christian wife, so you're a Christian family, you've got children, the whole family, everybody, Who's a follower of Jesus, the center now becomes to serve God's purposes by building up the local church. It doesn't mean that you, you don't go to work, and it doesn't mean that you don't go on holidays, and it doesn't mean that you have to go to endless meetings. It's not about, it's not about meetings. It's about community. And the center of our community is now this new family called the church. Ephesians chapter 4, have a look at that. Leaving idols, serving God, 
<laughs> which raises the question, why on earth would anybody ever do that? Why would anybody ever do that? And the answer is, they did it, challenging as it was, because they'd realized that the old way of life wasn't where true life was to be found. First century life that promised so much for those who could make it. It was an illusion. It gave the illusion of life and the illusion of success, but it was an illusion. They realized that to pursue that way of life was actually to pursue death and not life. That true life couldn't be found in this world, and in fact, they may have to endure suffering in this life, but they'd realized that true life was to be found in Christ and in all its fullness when he comes back. And so they wait. They have a new hope. If you think that unless you get everything that life has to offer here in Willoughby or on the North Shore, you'll devote all your energies to that. But if you've come to realize that true life is to be found in Jesus, then there'll be that sense of accepting that you may not get everything that this life has to offer. There may even be a cost to following Jesus. In fact, there will be. But you're content to wait because you have a new hope. So there we have it. Turn from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. To turn, to serve, to wait. Well, that's what he meant in the first century. And the filters are still kicking in, aren't they? <laughs> still kicking in. So here's the question, what's this got to do with us? What difference will it make to a, a normal, average, everyday North Shore person if they become a follower of Jesus Christ? And the answer is pretty much the same as it would have meant in the first century. Pretty much the same. So let me reword Paul's letter uh, words in verses 9 and 10. I, I, I want to put it in the way that he would probably put it if he were writing to us. Because we don't use the language of idolatry. So he would say something like this. He'd say, I, I'm just so over the moon about what I've been hearing about you people in Willoughby at St. Stephen's. So yeah, you turn to Christ. And, and the reports I'm getting are just fantastic. How you turned to God and left, turned your back on, the North Shore way of doing life. You got that? You turned your back on the North Shore way of doing life to serve the living and true God because you realized that hope and life and everything is found in Christ, not in Willoughby. Do you see why it's important to get rid of our filters? If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, then we have to leave the North Shore. I don't mean geographically. The North Shore needs Christians. It desperately needs men and women who live counterculturally to show that true life is not to be found by all the affluence that's around us. So we desperately need people who are followers of Christ who stay in Willoughby. But there is an internal leaving. 
are leaving in terms of the priorities, in terms of the direction, in terms of the way that we handle our money, in the way that we deal with affluence. And there'll be a leaving too, and a new center in terms of having the church. And building up the church is the center of what we're about. You remember the question somebody asked me? Which I began with, what difference will it make if I become a Christian? And these days what I would say is, number one, you'll have a new family. And your role is to play your part, whatever that is, in building up this new community. This radical new community that's an outpost of the kingdom of God. That is your purpose. That is why God called you. And as part of that, by the way, deal with affluence. So, for those of you who are not followers of Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to realize that if you become a follower, you've got to leave the North Shore. You've got to cross the bridge. Don't push the illustration too far. I'm not saying move to the eastern suburbs. That's probably worse. <laughs> just, just go with the metaphor. You've got to leave but it's worth it because this is an illusion. Do you remember that thing in that, that scene in The Matrix? Some of you remember The Matrix, the movie about how life is all a, a, a computer program. Reality isn't reality. Everything is an illusion. It's all been produced by a computer program. And the Judas figure who knows this, um, he's, he picks up a stake and he says, I know this steak isn't real, but boy, does it taste good. So I choose the steak. That's what so many people do. To think that life comes to us through living the North Shore way of doing life is an illusion. In fact, it's worse than that. It's to embrace death. And when we take ourselves down that path and buy into the North Shore way of life and when we bring our children into that as well, we need to understand this is really serious because we're embracing death, not life. You have to leave. And you have to keep on leaving. You know, it's, we get stuck. I've come across people who've got stuck in Pimble. They're making their way. They were making their way to cross the bridge. They were leaving, and then they got stuck in Pimble. The more radical ones got stuck in Lindfield, and the, the really good ones got stuck in Roseville. And, and then, of course, there are people who can see the bridge because they're in Caravilli. And, <laughs> but they got stuck there. Some people got diverted to Mossman. Do you see what I mean? We can start on the journey of following Jesus and get stuck. We need to keep moving. Remember, the journey's not over until the journey's over. So if you're a follower of Jesus Christ who's got stuck, just take the next step. Head towards the bridge. Leave. And remember that you'll have to keep crossing and recrossing that bridge. It's not a once-for-all thing. I so often find myself having crossed the bridge, then 
I've come back again. I need to cross again. The journey's not over until the journey's over. But it's worth it. And it's what we're called to be, to leave idols, to serve the living and true God, and to wait for everything that Jesus will reveal for us when he comes. Let's pray. Father, please write your word in our hearts, not just in our minds. Please move our wills for the sake of your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.